Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. This episode was really fun to record. So today I am chatting with Mallory Anderson Macy, and we are talking about acceptance and commitment therapy. Now you may think, oh my gosh, what do I need to learn about acceptance commitment therapy for? I'm a teacher, I'm a parent or whatever I have going on. I don't need that. Now I've always really been interested in ACT. And when Mallory was going to join us on the podcast, I was like, okay, let's talk about ACT. That'll be great. And she was like, yeah, let's talk about caregiver burnout. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, like burnout's a big problem. Teachers are burnout. Clinicians are burnt out. Parents are definitely burnt out. Let's talk about that. But as we got into our conversation, I really realized why burnout is so important and the big results that fixing this problem has. By looking at burnout, we're really getting to the root of the issue and and letting us do the effortful work that we do as, as helpers, as Mallory says, as teachers, clinicians, and parents. The work we have to do is hard. And if we are burnt out, we can't do it. And she explains this so nicely on kind of this cycle of how this all connects. And I'm excited for you to listen to it because I think it's going to really help you get to that point where we're hopefully not burnt out and get to that self-care piece and work-life balance piece much more quickly. And I know, I mean, I struggle with that. I know everyone struggles with that. So I think this is going to have a lot of great light bulb moments for you. So let's go ahead and hear from Mallory. Hi, Mallory. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh my gosh. Hi, Sasha. I can't wait to chat with you today. Thank you for inviting me. 
I am excited to chat too, because this is a topic that I love learning more about, and we haven't talked about too much on the podcast. So I think this will be a good introductory lesson for some people and hopefully pique some interest. Well, that would be exciting because (laughs) this is my very favorite thing to talk about. And when I get the opportunity to do so, I can definitely go for it. I can't wait to share with people. Okay. So today we're going to talk about ACT. And for those that this is brand new to, can you give kind of an overview of what ACT is? Sure. So let's even just say what the acronym is. is yeah, right. ACT is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Some people are going to say Acceptance and Commitment Training, depending on who you're speaking to. Um, but ACT is the way that I refer to it. And it is the a behavioral approach to in a psychotherapy um, umbrella. Okay. So a lot of the times behavior analysts, um, even special ed teachers might feel like some of those things are off our plate, right? Because we kind of tend to leave those to uh, counselors, right? Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. But what's really cool about acceptance and commitment therapy is that it's born from behavioral science. And so it does go into thoughts and feelings, which behavior analysts call private events, right? But we get to work with that because of its connection and and correlation to verbal behavior. And that's kind of our in route here is that it is a part of verbal behavior. It's born from behavioral science. Once you get into it, you see how they connect with each other. And it's all about being able to think about how our thoughts and feelings impact our behavior and being able to start merging those two within the context of interventions slash creating more of the life you want to live, right? Which when you think about it that way, like, of course, thoughts and feelings impact our behavior. Like I don't live, you know, very many moments where my thoughts and feelings don't impact our behavior. So of course, that's something that we want to think about and consider when working with our students. Right, right. But what can be also confusing sometimes is from, I don't know about you, but the majority of the behavior analysts who I speak to, um, even teachers sometimes, we tend to look at what we can observe right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes sense, right? And even in our um, educational background, we're kind of told that if we can't 100% really observe it, it's out of our wheelhouse. But what's cool with ACT is that that's not the case anymore. And like you said, and in my personal experience, behaviors are impacted by thoughts and feelings, by private events. They can't really be separated. And so when we start incorporating private events verbal behavior, acceptance and commitment therapy into our toolbox and into our wheelhouse is when we start seeing a whole person instead of just the observable parts, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot probably that we're missing when we just look at, you know, what we can see in here, kind of those observable pieces. And I would actually argue that that's not only true, but it's part of what behavior analysis is getting criticism for. If you look at the neurodivergent movement, um, a lot of that is that we're not looking at a whole person, right? We're treating them into their constituent parts. And so a lot of my work and a lot of my realizations around acceptance and commitment therapy is incorporating a whole person approach has to include the thoughts and the feelings for us to be able to do really good behavior analysis that people want, you know? Yeah. That's true. And so what kind of, when you kind of talk about this idea of the whole person, what kinds of things could you be missing when you're not seeing that whole person and how does ACT like help highlight that? 
Sure. That's a really good question. What are we missing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of the times, and I'm actually doing a group right now where I'm teaching people. So this is all super duper fresh right now. So I'm really excited about this question Um, where people will come to a, to the table with a problem, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we'll go for it. We'll be like, we're going to make this whole plan. We're going to make all of this stuff. And we're going to, we're going to organize the environment in a way that's going to support, you know, movement towards our version of what we want to create from this problem and how we want to do that. We've done all sorts of work, assessments and programming and materials making. And and you know what ends up happening sometimes a lot more often than we'd like is that they don't do it. <laughs> they don't do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the best laid plans, right? Right. They don't do it. And you know why? <laughs> it's because the problem that they're presenting with, right, they think is the problem, isn't always actually what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And so when we start digging into the, the thoughts and the feelings and why we think that that problem is the problem and what we think about that problem. And, you know, when we start playing with how we perceive the problem, which is all verbal behavior work, um, then we start noticing that, <laughs> that what we think is the problem isn't the problem and that there's something else kind of underlying it. And so we set ourselves up, right, to be frustrated with our clients or to be frustrated with ourselves because we made all of these plans and we did all this effort. And the thing that was missing was a few questions away around just playing with, well, is that like, can we, can we break apart what that problem really is? And so what can be missing sometimes is how do we feel about this problem? Where did this, what do we believe about this problem? What, um, what underlies the problem? What is actually our expectation that that problem is a problem, right? What if we yeah. thought about it a little bit more from a place of curiosity rather than one of um, inflexibility, right? One of, of, of stagnation. Like this is a problem because I perceive it as a problem. What if we played with it a little bit more? What if we got curious about it? And that's when we start, <laughs> we start making things that are completely different but way more workable, right? And so your question was, what are we missing and how can ACT do that, right? It's when we start playing with our perception of what is true, which it comes from relational frame theory, um, which is another behavioral behavioral model. Which it's funny when you were explaining that answer, you know, the the kind of way many behavior analysts were, were taught, you know, there, there's no feelings, you know, it's like, this is what we see in in here. And and I didn't really learn about act until the very end of grad school. And I was kind of like, Oh, I've been waiting for this, like waiting for this piece. Like, because I I was like, I I don't know, something always was like, well, I don't know how that would work in my life. Like maybe that for someone else. But for me, I got, I got a lot more going on, you know, kind of thinking about it globally like that. I always felt like there was something missing. And that was like, Oh, okay, this, this makes a little more sense now. Well, one, I'm super excited that they even talked about it. Yeah, that's true. That's cool. <laughs> that wasn't the case for me, but I'm, I've been around for a while now. <laughs> um, so that makes me excited. But it was I an think, elective, to be fair, but <laughs> well, I was excited to take it. <laughs> well, good on you that you prioritize that. That makes me excited for the future. But what you said about that's not going to work for me was exactly my story, right? Is that I was gotten myself into a spot where anxiety, where depression, where burnout, lots of 
you know, heavy mental health diagnoses. <laughs> um, and I was like, I can't fix it with my behavior analysis. Does that mean I'm a bad behavior analyst? Right. Mm. I also had a lot of clients. My um, when I was in the clinic or, you know, the agency life, whatever, um, my niche was um, teens and tweens with co-current mental health diagnosis along with um, autism, right? Mm -hmm. So we had anxiety, social anxiety, depression, things like that. And when we were still not working with the anxiety and stuff, I was like, am I a bad behavior analyst, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was really a hard one. Um, But it also showed me that I didn't have a full toolbox, just like you were saying. Uh, This couldn't really work with me unless I was able to start addressing my thoughts and my feelings, right? And so that's what led me towards, I need a fuller toolbox. I need a bigger set of of things to be able to work with. And I thought I was going to have to get that outside of behavior analysis, right? Like I went into, you know, um, looking into PhD programs, looking into, uh, and I did trainings that were outside of behavior analysis. And you know what? It led me right back into behavior analysis through acceptance and commitment therapy. Oh, that's cool. You're like, oh, wait, I am in the right spot. <laughs> exactly. It was such a real a revelation. It's still challenging, though, because I think not all behavior analysts are ready for acceptance and commitment therapy because of the prejudice around thoughts and feelings is not being part of behavior analysis. And this might go a little bit further into kind of theory and whatnot, and we can stop it here. But uh, Skinner, right, who did verbal behavior, like that was the book title, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wasn't done with his work. Yeah. He, he died. <laughs> he yeah, was, but that true. doesn't mean that's that he was true. dumb. If you look at what <laughs> verbal behavior covers, we're talking little kid levels of language. We're not talking about what you and I experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's and true. So, uh, then Hayes picked it up and ran with it. But then the behaviorists were like, it wasn't Skinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it is absolutely born from that work, and it's amazing. So kind of in this process of, like, learning about ACT and kind of being like, okay, this is, like, the missing piece I need, how did that, you know, overall change your your even initial approach to students and clients and, and kids or teens that you're working with? Sure. Big question. So it is a big question, but I think it's probably one of the most important questions um, because – when I realized that I still needed to be zooming out, right, that these assessments that I was doing, no matter how comprehensive, were still only a small portion of, of the work that I was looking like of the human being in front of me, right? Um, and that they, like their experience doesn't always have to be um, contextualized into what we, dis- we, we call, you know, socially normative for it to be valid, right? Which is the whole point of the neurodivergent movement. Um, and when we start looking at what does this person care about, which is a fundamental pillar of acceptance and commitment therapy, I didn't give you the, the whole overview of ACT, but the model that I like to use is the Hexaflex model. And anyone can look that up. You'll get a nice little visual that will make sense to you. Um, But one of the pillars in the Hexaflex model is values, right? So values just means what's really important to you. Um, And sometimes what's really important to a person is unclear to them because of uh, societal expectations, because of our lived experience, because of our um, 
perception of our traumas. And so when we start getting people to be able to start getting really clear about what actually matters to them, right? This ties into the example of we laid a really beautiful plan that we are not going to do, right? Because it was somebody else's wants this for us. And so the motivation to be able to do this thing isn't intrinsic, so we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only because someone else wants us to. And, and then we just feel bad about ourselves because we're not doing it rather than actually coming to what is it that I want to do? What is it that I care about, right? And how can these hard things that I'm asking myself to do or that other people are asking me to do, like in changing my behavior of service to what I want. And when people start getting that, right, and it comes from a place of empowerment rather than pressure. Mm -hmm. As a little side tangent, there's times where I see providers try to kind of leverage values in like a kind of a bullying way, honestly, where it's like, mm-hmm. you said this was a value, so we're going <laughs> to do it. Do you, does, do you not value this, right? Like that that gets a little bit messy when it's like, well, what if they don't, right? And you're, the way that we're wording it is the expectation that they should, right? And we just start playing with all that, right? Because that's mm-hmm. all verbal behavior stuff again. And it's high level verbal behavior stuff, but it's still important. Then we start getting to, well, how can I support you? right? How can I support you make this life that actually matters to you? And then we start talking to our clients that way. We start talking to our parents that way. We start allowing them to unapologetically be who they are, right? Mm -hmm. And then we start creating people who are willing to do hard things rather than us bending over backwards to create an environment of which will support them doing hard things that will stop when the environment stops supporting it, right? And, and it's so in line with kind of what you've been saying too. this whole movement in the last few years and the criticism that ABA has has rightfully gotten. Right. And if we can move towards, you know, practice that's that's client focused in to that degree, too, where we're really, really getting to what those values are. Yeah. I think hopefully a lot of people would have less problems with ABA yeah. as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But, and I think that this is going to guide where I think we're going with this conversation. Why isn't that happening? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. If it's so lovely and great, why can't everyone do it? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And spoiler alert, (laughs) it has to do with our adoption of ACT and our adoption of values-based decision-making, um, within the context of the systems that we work in. Right. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yes. Yes, I could. <laughs> yes, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny that you should ask. Um, so, America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. As clinicians, um, you said that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are behavior analysis, are parents, or special ed teachers, or fall into a similar analogous of like a helper situation. Yeah. We are doers, we're givers. I'm a parent as well. Um, if you can't tell, I've got a little bit of a stuffy nose because I've got two sick preschoolers downstairs. <laughs> right? um, we do and we give. <laughs> and at some point, doing and giving doesn't 
come back into overflowing our cup, right? Like we, we do have a finite amount of energy, right? And so at some point we start to burn out because we can't give and give and give and give and give for forever, right? And so what happens is that when we experience provider burnout or parental burnout or clinical burnout or teacher burnout or whatever kind of burnout you want to talk about, we're not going to have the capacity to be able to be as creative, to be as empathetic, to be as compassionate as we probably want to be. Because now instead of we get the opportunity to get curious about these things in front of us, we're on a, we're on a fucking deadline, right? Mm -hmm. You're just another problem now. And couldn't you have just done what I asked you to the first time instead of, Ooh, let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. Let's play (laughs) with that. It's like, no, I wrote the thing right? I did a lot of hours. I don't have time to rewrite it. You not doing this means I have to do more, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can't access that level of our values even, right? (laughs) Of I like to be of help to people because the momentum of I have too much to do has kind of bowled over the whole situation in our head. We can't even access what's really important to us because our our lives are being jeopardized too, right? Like if I don't get this paperwork done by this period of time, then the insurance isn't going to pay out. And then I'm going to have someone up my ass. And then, you know, I'm going to not be able to get my work done. I could lose my job. I can't take care of my family. So you in front of me need to just do what I said you should do, right? Yeah. That's not in line. Every like parent has, I mean, every teacher for sure, but like, God, I can think of like, moments in the last 24 hours where I was definitely not parenting within my values, you know, cause you're just, you're tired. You're like you said, there's only a, a certain amount of energy to give. Right. Right. And so that's why I platform myself in burnout. Um, because when we start working with our own burnout is when we start and we have, we've structured and created safety around what we need as like fundamentally as individuals. Right. Mm-hmm. that's when we can do some of this bigger work that we're talking about um, around like the criticisms of ABA and the neurodivergent movement actually being really important for ABA, right? Instead mm-hmm. of I'm just defensive and now I have more work to do. Like you're saying that I didn't do a good enough job even though I meant to and I've been working my ass off nonstop. Like even just saying that that way is going to make me cry. Like I'm, I'm emotional, right? I get it. It's hard. Yeah. We're tired. We've done work and work and work and there's good work in there. And you're saying, Mallory, now I need to go back and learn a whole nother branch of acceptance and commitment therapy and RFT and I need to redo everything that I've been doing. Like that sounds exhausting. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's that feeling of like, well, I was doing it wrong. Like I, I have a hard time sitting with that. Like recently, even an administrator emailed me and said, I'd love to use this YouTube video that you shared. And it's from when I was in the classroom. It's probably 10, 11 years old. And I say things I wouldn't say now. And they're not like horrifying, but I'm they're, they're cringy to me. And I'm like, Oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. And I like, I don't like sitting with that. Oof. Well, I love that you said that. I don't like sitting with that because I felt like I did it wrong. And I think that that is a really beautiful example of act right there. Let me tell you how. Yeah. Um, so it's because that feels bad because of a values-based thing, right? Like, ooh, I really care about my clients. I really care about my work. I really care about my profession. Um, these could all be values words, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, these are things that matter to me and I really want them to be the best that they can be. And when they're not, that's a violation of my values. So I have big feelings about that, right? Yeah. Big feelings about that. And those big feelings are so important because they, um, they're, they're setting you, you up for motivation, right? Like, what am I going to do with these big feelings? How am I going to shift my actions, my future actions, in service of being able to move towards what matters to me, right? And so it might be that you're inspired to make a new video. It might be that you're, um, you know, you say no to them, or or it could be that you're like, ooh, I guess, right? And I say yes, but here's a caveat, right? Or, you know, you might be inspired from that because of that uncomfortable emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that plays into, you know, psychological flexibility, that plays into present moment awareness, that plays into, you know, acceptance, that discomfort serves us, right? And then the opposite of what is true there is that we might do some experiential avoidance, right? Where it's like, ooh, I don't want to deal with that because it feels too yucky, right? It feels too yucky. And I'm not saying that that's what you're going to do, but that's what some people do. That's what, I mean, I do that sometimes too. And when we start becoming aware of that process happening and that that's something that can happen and it's because of the emotion that you had, that's curiosity, right? That's Mm -hmm. when we start making decisions from values, knowing the values instead of being hooked by the emotions, right? The emotions and the thoughts exist separately and you're separating them out by doing this work. And then that's going to inform what actions you take. Ooh, that was explained really well. And I think that, and I think part of it for me too has been that identifying, like like you said, that avoidance, like, oh, I know that this made me feel yucky and I'm avoiding it. And that's, and that's sometimes that's okay. But like, even just that awareness of knowing that you're doing that versus being like, oh, delete that email, never see it again, never think about it. Yeah. And what's cool is that like, when we have those yucky feelings, right? And yes, there's always place for avoidance or uh, escape. Like it's not a bad thing to do that. It's just witnessing that that all is playing together because of a value of yours, which has morphed and changed and evolved since the you made that video 10 years ago, right? Which mm-hmm. is I have learned and I have grown and I care about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we start tying it to our values – instead of stopping it, that feels yucky or, uh, and you just see that internal process, right? It's just, it's mostly about seeing that internal process is when we start witnessing that internal progress process in places where we didn't see it before. And then Mm -hmm. we start noticing where we're stuck, right? Because you gave it in a place where maybe you're not stuck. You're aware and awareness is the first step because a lot of the times we aren't aware. And then Like uh, in that example I gave at the beginning where it's like we created this whole thing based off of presenting problem when the presenting problem isn't actually the problem, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we draw awareness to what's underneath that stuff, you know, which is what we're doing here, right? Where you're like, that video is yucky and cringy. I don't like it. It's because of your evaluation of, you know, like the neurodivergent movement and um, believing that ABA receives criticism justly and that we need, that we have the opportunity to be able to grow, right? It's because of your value of that. And now you know. Yeah. Isn't that dope as hell? And that's going to (laughs) be where you make decisions from in the future 
And then we can apply that in so many beautiful ways, so many beautiful ways. So I want to kind of loop back to, and I I feel like I'm in like a therapy session. So thank you for that. But like looping back to this idea of burnout and I, and I think that's, it's so smart and makes so much sense how you're saying like, you know, when we don't have the energy to do this work and it's stemming from burnout, we kind of like becomes a vicious cycle more or less. Is that kind of how you could illustrate it? So your audio was being a little bit funny. What I heard you say was you feel like you're in a therapy session, which I get a (laughs) lot, which is true a little bit, right? I mentioned that ACT falls under the umbrella of the third wave of psychotherapy models, right? Along with DBT and CBT, makes sense. A lot of people say that, and it makes BACBAs uncomfortable, actually, because they're like, ooh, I feel like this is therapy. I'm doing something wrong. No, it's not. (laughs) We're doing it right. But then I heard you say um, about the burnout cycles and about how adopting new things and being able to think this way is effortful, right? Like what I just outlined is effortful. Yes. It's hard. And Uh, so like kind of what I had finished saying, if that's where maybe it cut out, that would you kind of explain that it becomes a vicious cycle because it's effortful and we don't have enough energy, we can't do it. So that's why maybe treating the burnout is the root of the issue potentially. Yes. 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 Oh my goodness. You're speaking to my heart. (laughs) Yes. Not only in clinicians, but in the parents too, in the teachers too, in all of the people, when we start working with our burnout, when we have people, helpers who are thriving, the children will benefit, right? Yeah. When we work with parents in a way that like it's a whole person and we have our, the, the bravery to be able to be like, are you eating food on a regular basis? Like, <laughs> what, are you going to the grocery store? Do you get to go to a movie and have fun or whatever it is that makes you you? How can we program for that? Mm-hmm. Then those parents are going to be doing your interventions. Yeah. <laughs> The same thing is going to be true for providers. When we have providers who take their PTO, we have providers who have their financial needs met, right, who are able to, you know, do the things that are important to them as individuals, they're going to show up for their clients completely differently, like just fundamentally differently because they have their um, individual needs met. And so when we as providers start thinking about how we interact with work, right? Or it, uh, we as parents start thinking about how we interact with care tasks, right? We have to take it into a bigger picture than just work, than just care tasks, right? We have to look at a whole person and all of the things that make you up, right? Like your physical wellness, your fun, your community, um, your environment, um, I have a list of 12 things and now I can't remember all of them, but it's kind of like roughly we have like these big overarching things. And when we start allowing ourselves to see how those things that are outside of that impact work or impact caregiver tasks or impact interventions, that's when, and we start creating new systems around that, right? Not even just seeing how they interact, but we start creating new boundaries. We start creating new systems of self-care, right, or um, of life balance, which I have a whole spiel on life balance if you want to hear it at some point. Um, But when we start looking at that and we start thinking about that, that's when the hard stuff, right, becomes more workable. Yeah. 
Like I can't tell you how many times a problem that I can't solve, I just can't figure it out, becomes instantly solved because I took a nap. Like there's just the solution is there. You know, it just is all of a sudden happens because I took care of me as an individual, right? And I know a lot of people experience that. Like they take a shower and all of a sudden the answer comes to them or they go for a drive and listen to music or or their podcast or their book or whatever. And then, oh, here's that thing, right? It seems completely unrelated, but it's because of that, like the problem that we were presenting with, example again, right? We can't access that problem because we're too tired or because we're too run down or because it's taking away from things that matter. So when we start unpacking our burnout, we find out who we are as individuals, right? We start playing with it. We give ourselves permission. And that's really hard for caregivers. Yeah, (laughs) Really, really hard to give ourselves to start setting boundaries because we feel selfish. And that's the first part of dealing with in, in general is shame or selfishness. Um, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, old things that have been shaped up for a really long time, and they dictate how we interact with our environment. A really beautiful metaphor for that is like glasses. Have you ever worn glasses outside, like you're at the beach or whatever, and you go inside and you forget to take them off? Mm -hmm. The same thing is with um, mindset, right? So we could have shaped up a rule or the way that we interact with the world, like let's use perfectionism as an example. Like I have to get it right. Otherwise people will think poorly of me. We've got these glasses on. They dictate how we view the whole world, like how we view what opportunities we have and don't have access to, but we forget we're wearing them. Yeah. So when we draw attention to that fact that we're wearing them, we can start interacting with the world a little bit differently. <laughs> and then we can create opportunities for self-care, right? Which could I I think of self-care as like, how does it serve the function of overflowing your energy, right? Uh Um, Instead of draining your energy, like it's activities that energize you versus take from you. And how can we start uh, allowing ourselves the opportunity to play with those because they all, not only do they serve us, but they serve our clients, right? And that's like the key because I think, you know, as you're going through this and it all makes so much sense, but I, I think of of how many teachers, they've just been through it in the last few years, my gosh, and and now are just at, at nothing yeah. and feeling like, of course, burnt out, but like, I can't, there's just, there's excuses quick. I do this myself all the time. Like, oh, I can't take a walk today. I have too much work or oh, I can't go to bed early. I have to clean the dishes. And you can talk yourself out of self-care really quickly, but when you're explaining like, but you need this to be good at your job and be a good parent and be a good wife and her husband or friend, it becomes so much more important than just like, oh, self-care, you know? And that's values-based decision-making, right? When we see that those things are connected, right? When we see that they're connected and we see that it's hard and that just like what you were saying, which is such a beautiful example of why I think this is important. You can talk yourself out of it What is talking, right? Talking is verbal behavior. And those were all things that happened inside your head that never made it outside of your head usually, right? Mm -hmm. Right? And so when we start there, in that place, that's when we can modify motivation. Not from an external position, not from the environment, but from you seeing how you interacting with you, right, can be turned into a functional interaction, in service of what matters to you, 
right? Because what, what you just explained is very common and it's something that's not functional in service of something that matters, right? We, we are in the habit of thinking if we give up our walk today, then we're going to be able to get more work done. We're going to be able to serve more people. But when we start questioning that thought and we take our walk on average in the future, we're able to show up more for the people because we are in a completely different capacity. Yeah. And it's, and it, and it, you, it ties back to reinforcement. Like even this walk thing is, is small, but I was thinking about when you're talking about, oh, you go in the shower and you think of the solution. It was last week because I try to like get a walk in every day. And last week I was like frustrated with everything. I'm like, ah, I've been like in too many meetings on too many calls. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to work out and go for a walk because I need to get out. And, and by the time I came back, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back to the computer and I'm going to write a little more. And it was like, I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not done that. So it was like, you, I'm receiving, I'm, my behaviors are being reinforced, you know? So it, you can see the, the three-term contingency at play yes. when it happens. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out because it is behavioral. Mm-hmm. Right. Because even though a lot of what happened there was internal private event verbal behavior, it impacted your uh, observable behavior. Right. And it changed the way that you interacted with your environment later on in the day because of an internal intervention. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I could just like talk about this forever. I see why you're like so passionate about it. And I love, I hadn't thought about this connection to to caregiver burnout. Like obviously teacher burnout, caregiver burnout is such a real thing. And it's, and we all know that that's not great. No one likes feeling burnt out. But when you connect it to the hard work we have to do and why we can't do it, it yeah. makes total sense. Yes. And it's so tricky. And I, 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 I do this. <laughs> intentionally because people don't want to believe that they're worthy of life balance for a lot of reasons right the people the type of people who find themselves listening to a podcast like this are uh, givers right like they're they they give to other people and they receive reinforcement and it's a value of theirs to be generous or to be kind or compassionate to give to help to serve right but what comes with that is an idea that they don't like that they have to give at their own expense in order to be giving fully, right? This idea of um, selflessness or sacrifice gets mm-hmm. um, roped in somewhere by accident, right? Probably by some well meaning person, right? Um, who thinks that they're doing a really wonderful thing. But when you get to that place of sacrifice, you can't be helping <laughs> in the way that you probably want to, because there's always going to be a level of yuck that underlies it, which is why, in my opinion, right, ABA is getting so much backlash is because we can't be super creative. We can't be super empathetic. We start, it. Uh, resentment worms its way in unintentionally, right? Yeah. Why can't you just do the thing that I asked you to do? Why can't you do the thing that we agreed upon? I'm here to help you, damn it, right? <laughs> and then you're not actually helping, right? You're not witnessing this person as the wonderful sunset that they are. You're seeing them as a problem to be solved. And it starts with you 
witnessing yourself as a beautiful sunset that you are instead of a problem to be solved and accepting, which is the A in acceptance and commitment therapy, that you have needs as a human being and that you have to meet them in order to be able to be of service in the way that you want to, right? And in this case, that's a value of being of service to other people, right? And it it feels like the opposite, right? Like it feels like if you're being of service to yourself, then you can't be of service to people. And that's the little thought that we have to stop telling ourselves. That's the practice, the, the, the new habit that we need to form is that, you know, we do this with, with parents and parent training where we're like, is that really functional? Is that really doing what you think it's going to do to yell at the kid because they did something wrong, right? Yeah. This is the same thing. Is it really functional? to tell yourself that your your sacrifice is of service to other people always, right? Or are there times when you sacrificing for your like your own needs is not of service to your values of helping other people? And could we start playing with that, right? That's that's where burnout starts getting reconciled. That's when we have providers who are able to start doing some really fantastic ABA. And that's when we start changing the culture. It starts with us as individuals. And when we start working with our burnout, I truly believe that that's when we start shifting ABA because we're going to start doing things differently. Oh my gosh, Mallory. I love this. I feel like, I hope we have had like a lot of light bulb moments going on right now with, you know, tired parents and overwhelmed teachers listening on, on, on the why behind this all. Um, oh my two gosh. Important, <laughs> two important questions for you as we wrap up. Um, where can people learn more about ACT? People that are like, oh my gosh, this is great. I want more of it. And where can people um, learn more from you? Sure. So the two books that I usually recommend to people getting started um, with ACT and, uh, well, I'll finish that thought. I'm I'm so excited. Um, (laughs) Are Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life by Hayes. It's a workbook where you actually do structured activities because in my opinion, theory doesn't matter until it's applied, right? Theory is cool, but it doesn't mean anything until you start doing it, right? Yes. I used that workbook in my grad school class. That was what the whole class was. And I, I just felt like I was in group therapy and I loved it. Like I needed it in my life then. It was so great. It's so good. It's so good. And I do have a like book club um, where we, we read through that book um, available at some point. It's, we've already done it. So it's going to be repurposed here soon. But I would recommend that book. And the other book that I like is um, Act Made Simple by Russ Harris. Um, cause it goes into the theory. So that way you can have applied and specific strategies from that beautiful, get out of your mind and into your life book, which I'm so glad that you've had the opportunity to do. It's just life changing. I've done it like five times now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then you have the theory, um, in a very simple way, even though that Russ Harris book is thick, it is, um, it's pretty, pretty comprehensive and you've got those two together, right? And those are, that's a really beautiful place to go ahead and get started. Um, And I wanted to just quickly touch on, I said we're making ABA better, and I I realize that not everybody cares about making ABA better, but we also are making our teaching better. We're also making our parenting more aligned with what we want when we start um, bringing in our, working with our burnout, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's like, (laughs) and I think, you know even just the point of salt, like no one likes feeling burnt out. Like no one at that point is like, I feel great about myself, like in general. So I think even just that first piece, and then there's so many great 
follow-up consequences of it, but that first piece of resolving that is is so important. It it's it is. It is and it has ripple out effects and the more we work on that, the more it changes your life and that's part of my story, that's the way that I work with people, that's the way that I um fundamentally approach any kind of person I I am going to be, you know, mentoring or coaching. Um, the way that people can talk to me is um, my Instagram, Mindfully Mallory, um, is is where that's my primary platform. I have a few other things, right? Like I've got a parent support book out. That's a workbook called um, Seven Days to Clarity, Getting the Most Out of Your ABA Therapy. Um, and that's just like a seven-day process. Um, well, it probably takes most people more than seven days, but it's outlined in seven days to be able to really kind of like clarify what matters to you, um, and how to start moving towards that. Um, and then I also do mentorship and coaching in various different packages that are available at different times, (laughs) which all the information is available on my Instagram or that my Instagram will take you to my website, which is just mindfullymallory.com. Okay, great. We will link all of that in the show notes as well as those two books you referenced. And thank you so much. I feel like I could keep talking about this, but I think you've sparked everyone's interest and and explained everything that, you know, it can be complex in a really clear way. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Again, I could also talk about this for forever. <laughs> so thank you for the opportunity to share this stuff. Like it is like absolutely on my heart to share these things. And I just love any opportunity that I have to be able to hopefully, like you said, spark interest in other people because then I have more people to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mallory. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.